house. Let me hear your bark. Let me see you bite. Let me see your scars. You know what we about. Come see us in the yard. Hello and welcome to All We Hear is Purple, where the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the entire internet. I'm Andrew Berg, and joining me tonight, the illustrious Coach B, to celebrate a week one win. We don't take it for granted, especially after last year. Coach, how are you feeling after the first week? So much better than last year. <laughs> yeah, I think that goes much without better. saying. I, I, I feel like I got more joy out of the first like 90 seconds of the game than I did out of most of last year. Maybe that's slightly a revisionist history because there were times when last year it looked like it was going to turn around or, or be good. As we'll talk about later, I'm sure the parallels to the Arkansas State game. But before we threw too much cold water on the win, let's go into the recap of this dominant win over Kent State. I, you know, it's, it may be a bit of a cliche to start with the quarterback and the passing game, but I don't know where else you could start with this one. It was Michael Penix from start to finish. He was the best player on the team. He was close to perfect in sync with his receivers immediately, just crazy efficient in short and intermediate yardage passes. He even scrambled effectively, uh, especially when he didn't slide too early, although that's debatable. How much of this is Penix versus the quality of the Kent State defense making him look even better than he did uh, on Saturday? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I mean, I think all of us kind of going in, um, you know, had some confidence that the offense would look a lot better just based on the quality of the opponent. I had done my research for uh, my Kent State defensive preview last week and Last year's stats for them, they were a sieve. Um, they were that defense was Charmin Ultra Soft. Couldn't stop the run, couldn't stop the pass. Um, they made some changes. A new defensive coordinator, and I think that at this point the scheme looks a lot better. They're playing closer to their talent. Granted, we still had a substantial talent advantage on our offense compared to their defense, but it looked like they had a plan. It look like they were going to try and stop the run um, a little bit, but we'll touch on that in a little bit. Um, they did give up passing yards left and right. And for as soft as their passing defense might've been, you still got to execute. And I think that's the biggest thing that I took away was with Penix at the helm, you know, marshalling the offense. He looked like a seasoned vet that he was billed as coming in as a transfer from Indiana, having experience in this uh, Kalen DeBoer, Ryan Grubb offense. And he just did what he had to do and took advantage of the talent around him, the scheme that helped them get open, and he executed on the throws. He looked comfortable in the pocket. And some of that is his own talent and the talent around him. And some of it's the mental that the mental aspect of it, that we didn't see consistently last year or haven't seen consistently since maybe Jake Browning where, and I touched on this a little bit in today's uh, film study post that uh, me and John put together for the offense. Um, still haven't gotten around to the defensive half of it yet, but you know, going back, rewatching the game, you can see panics, you know, scanning the whole field, seeing, mm -hmm. you know, well-prepared. See him scanning the field. There was a specific play that I saw that I uh, broke down on that article where you can see him just prior to the snap pointing out and calling, hey, this uh, slot corner, you know, he's not on the line of scrimmage, but it looks like he might blitz just based on kind of who was covering who for the receivers what the defensive front was showing. He, 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 he was so dialed in in his preparation and has seen enough from various defenses that he's faced in the past that, you know, he identified it. I, I didn't see it live. Um, I didn't see that blitz coming. Even watching it again, the recording, I didn't see it immediately, but I saw, you know, if you look at just him, you can see him pointed out. He got the, the offensive line to adjust and Kalepo 
did a great job, blocked the defensive lineman first, peeled off, ear hold the blitzing DB, and Bainavalu all the way from the right guard spot, pulled all the way over, slid all the way over to the left, and got a got a little bit of action there in uh, you know, shoring up that pass protection look. So, you know, it's it's all the little things that come from having that guy in the QB spot that helps elevate everything. He helps the offensive line protect for him. That gives him time to really sit in the pocket and scan, see all the different options. Granted, there was a ton of receivers that were running wide open on most passing plays, but identify exactly what's going on and then complete the pass. And it was so refreshing to see a quarterback with that poise and comfort in the offense and just execute. Yeah, I I think the pass protection jumped out at me, too, because it looked so different than what we've seen, not just the last two years, but even at least the last three years. Uh, Jake Eason had a lot of trouble staying upright, and even towards the end of Browning's career, the pass protection had eroded quite a bit, and that's where some of the questions about Scott Huff's coaching came up, and it looked like a very different pass protection scheme, but more than that, the execution, like you were alluding to, it was picking up the blitzes, understanding where they were coming from and getting in the right the right guys in the right spots to do that. And it's very impressive that Penix was able to do that. It did seem like, as you mentioned, the defensive strategy was to get pressure on him uh, and play relatively soft zone coverage to try to let the pressure get there without giving up 40 and 50 yard mm-hmm. plays. And uh, the pressure wasn't getting there. So he was just free to to find whoever he wanted anywhere on the field. And when there was pressure, he he either stepped up in the pocket or scrambled or, or dumped it off uh, on swing passes to Will Nixon or whoever else. It, it seemed like that was a pretty uh, steady uh, option for him. But that's that's the cerebral part of playing quarterback that some of it's individual, some of it's coaching scheme experience, all these things together. I don't think you can put it on, on one thing, but I I was super impressed. Like, yes, it's not a good opponent, but if you can't do it against a bad team, you're not going to do it against a good team. So it's, it's an absolutely essential first step. I, I think the other side of the coin, the, Blocking in the run game was not quite as impressive. It wasn't bad, but I'd say the run game overall was just okay. The I, I, for all the great things we said about the pass protection, the running, uh, the the run blocks were just fine. And against a subpar defense, it seems like you would want to get a little bit more push up front, and maybe also have your running backs break a couple more tackles, find the seams, fall forward, turn some of those three yard gains into five or six yard gains. Any concern with what you saw in the running game? Uh, you know, I, I know you're probably not going to be too hard on your your very close personal friend, Wayne Talapapa, but uh, Will Nixon, the run blocking, any piece of it that was a little bit um, amiss to you or, or am I putting blame on something that doesn't need it? Uh, generally, my takeaway, both live in the moment as well as having gone back and watched the game again, was that, yeah, it was a solid performance, nothing spectacular, given how porous their rushing defense was last year. Um, I think a lot of folks, myself included, expected a little bit better of a uh, rushing performance. I mean, you know, Wayne was uh, the starter, and he got, you know, the majority of the carries. It was a... uh, running back by committee approach a little bit as the game wore on, but 11 carries for about 57 yards, I believe, and a touchdown, um, you know, that averages out to uh, right around five and a half yards a carry. Very solid, generally speaking. The creases that were there, um, Wayne brought a little bit of that uh, Richard Newton-esque kind of fall forward, slip through the, the tight crease and, you know, get a few of those hidden yards. He also showed a little bit of burst on that one long touchdown run on the first possession. It was a 28-yard uh, touchdown run right there on fourth down where he got a nice big lane for him to rush through and ran away from the secondary. So um, you, you see bits and pieces of why – he was tagged as the starter in a 
fairly deep and fairly talented running back room. So, you know, he's generally speaking, it was a solid performance. I wish that, you know, maybe if he had gotten a few more carries, uh, you know, you might've seen a little bit larger sample size to really understand where the talent's at relative to meshing with the scheme and things like that. But I will also say that um, Kent State and their defensive coordinator had decided in their game plan to take away the run. And I alluded to this in a couple of different articles, primarily on that defensive preview, where he is known, uh, their defensive coordinator has a history of trying to manipulate the blocking fronts. And he does that by lining up a lot of guys on the line of scrimmage. A lot of times you'll see two linebackers, you know, walk right up into the center's face with that kind of what's called a mug look um, and present, you know, maybe four, you know, instead of just four, three or four, you know, defensive linemen right there in the offensive line's face, maybe five, six, seven different bodies on the line of scrimmage where that forces the offensive line to account for all of the potential threats. And you have to plan for the worst case scenario and make your calls in such a way where you're accounting for everybody. And in a zone heavy run game, like we have, generally speaking, the zone game is based on the inside zone game at least is based on getting double teams at the line of scrimmage and then working to the second level. Now, if the second level is on the line of scrimmage, you don't have that second and a half to, you know, double team the D tackle before one of the guys peels off to get the linebacker. So it sets up a lot of one-on-ones, which, you know, sure, you know, we have the talent advantage, but it's still very difficult to move a 300 pound defensive tackle, even if you're, you know, somebody like Benavalu or Kalepo, who's in that 320 to 330 range, right? And because of that, they don't, they didn't, they weren't able to reset the line of scrimmage, move the line of scrimmage, and open those creases, right? It's all of these little tips and tricks from the defensive coordinator standpoint on scheming your defense, even if you're less talented, to take away some of the advantages that the offense has. And I think that really slowed down some of the rushing efficiency that we would have looked for, or at least the explosive potential that we were looking for, given our talent advantage. But, you know, not every defense is going to play it like that. And there's pros and cons to that. It it hampers your ability to react to pulling run uh, uh, schemes. Um, we didn't lean on that very much. Uh, it also makes you more susceptible to off-tackle runs if you can't have your defense flow in the way that you're uh, in the way that they need to. Sometimes, and we saw that on the touchdown run from Wayne on that first possession, where reacting to the motion from Odunzi on that play, they were supposed to bump over their linebackers and replace some gaps, and in order to account for that jet motion. They were scrambling. They didn't get it set up properly. It opened up a gap off tackle. Faltanu at left tackle sealed off the D end or outside linebacker right there. Quinton Moore, who was a little bit of a surprise as a significant contributor early in the game, uh, made a nice block kicking out that edge overhang player right there. And Wayne was off to the races. So, you know, I think Grubb, you know, still dialing it in, figuring out what he wants to do, given the talent. I think we'll see a few more plays designed to take advantage of what we have, what the defense is showing us. And I think we'll see a little bit more diversity moving forward. Yeah, and I think that's fair about the defensive scheme, that those things have to trade off. And when the the I was a little bit surprised there wasn't more adaptation during the game by Kent State schematically, that as it became obvious that Penix was picking apart the defense so easily, they just stuck with keeping guys close to the line of scrimmage, um, ineffective blitzes, really soft coverage, uh, and and using their, you know, selling out so hard to slow down the run 
which was still okay, but it was kind of just like patching up one arm while you're bleeding to death from the other arm or something. Exactly. Uh, they and and it didn't end up mattering a whole lot, so that definitely dampens the level of concern for uh, the the running game when it's in the context of the larger offensive performance. I think we could talk a little bit about the defense as well. I think there's, again, probably less dramatic swings, but some good, some less good to talk about. I thought, personally, the defensive front looked much improved. Uh, I give uh, Alfonso Tupitala a lot of credit, plugging holes aggressively. You called this way in advance of the season starting that the way the the defensive line scheme was set up would make things a lot easier for the linebackers to find the right gap and attack it. And he made the most of that, was very physical, really made it difficult for uh, Marquez Cooper, who was a 1,200-yard back for Kent State last year, to really do much at all. In fact, the quarterback, Colin Schley, was the only one who really made any uh, headway in the running game, and those were mostly on broken plays uh, that he found a little bit of yep. space. So defense, the run defense looked like night and day. So I, I, that's super positive. Let's let's start there. Tell me a little bit about what you saw uh, in defending the run. Yeah, I think you, you touched it on all the points that I would have brought up where – the defensive front itself in this new scheme is focused more on clogging the interior and spilling everything out compared to the previous scheme under uh, Coach K and Bob Gregory and the like, you know, in that Chris Peterson, Jimmy Lake era where we would set hard edge and then funnel everything back into the inside linebackers. So this new scheme, clogging the middle it gives uh the defensive linemen and inside linebackers more freedom to just get aggressive try to create as much chaos up the middle and then lean on the safeties and defensive backs to clean up at the perimeter and they the defensive front did their job right i didn't see very many efficient runs from kent state's offense um up the middle. I mean, there was a couple here and there on broken plays or some option looks here and there um, from Schley. But overall, defensive front looked far better. You know, they they are doing their portion of it. What I would like to see improve a little bit is the tackling at the perimeter. And I think a lot of folks have made comments about that and can see just watching the game in the moment where okay, sure, you clog the middle, you're spilling all the runs to the perimeter. Now we've got to make tackles in space, right? And I think that was consistent throughout the game where, you know, running back bounces it. Sure, we have guys on the spot, but couldn't put the running back or the ball carrier on the ground. And that was something that also leaked into the the passing defense or at least our, our pressure from the edges couldn't get Schley on the ground. Um, I think we probably had somewhere from four to six opportunities to get sacks, um, which is, which is positive, right? It's uh, we're really bouncing back to more of a 2020 pressure rate where, you know, that was ZTF's breakout year. Uh, ZTF was much quieter um, this past weekend uh, as well as the rest of the edge group um, as a whole. But, Kind of, again, similar to what we were talking about earlier on the offensive side, Kent State, their scheme is designed to create issues in certain spots and help their talent overachieve a little bit. Um, The RPOs, a lot of them were keying off of the edge players, and that forced them into a position where you can't play everything at once, and so you kind of just got to pick one or the other and some, and oftentimes that put them in a tougher position to make the play on the, on the ball carrier or the quarterback. But, you know, that's that as well as the fact that Schley is a very elusive quarterback, probably one of the more elusive quarterbacks we're going to play all year. Um, some of his Houdini tricks in eluding one, two, maybe three different, you know, rushers right in his face while still either scrambling for yardage or making a pass downfield was, you know, that's honestly one of the toughest things to actually uh, defend um, schematically. So 
overall, I think the run game, the run defense, much better, especially against a very run-heavy, up-tempo offense. There are things to work on, especially tackling, tackling in space. And I think that while we'll have the incremental improvements from our own team, I do also think that based on the opponent, we'll see easier looks from other offenses um, moving forward. Yeah, I, the elusiveness firstly is a good description. He was very slippery. He was maybe didn't have the best straight line speed of a quarterback that we'll face this year, but the way that he just avoided tackles and and seemed to know how to move at exactly the right moment was very impressive and seemed like in a way it was the most consistent thing holding their drives together, but it wasn't really the long drives that hurt the Husky defense overall. It was the handful of big plays. Uh, largely uh, in the passing game, which Lee was able to find um, Dante Cephas largely being covered by either Michelle Powell or Jordan Perryman. Neither one of them really able to contain him, especially on that long touchdown pass, the 45-yarder in the first half, when it, it looked like really a breakdown. There was no safety help over the top. Powell got burned really badly and Cephas just walked it in for a touchdown. Probably it's one play, but emblematic of something that we were largely concerned about going into the year, which was the second corner spot. And even the first corner spot, given that Perriman's uh, ability was more theoretical than what any of us had seen on the field coming into the year. And then he uh, suffered some kind of injury, although it sounds like not very serious. Asa Turner had two interceptions, which is great. Also missed three tackles and and looked a little out of position a couple times. I, I hate to even say it. I thought there might the first interception might get overturned uh, for pass interference. Luckily, that yeah. they did not let that go. It was, it was, it was very yeah. close. I, I'm not upset that they didn't call it. I've seen that called before, so I, I'm just going to say I'll take it. So I, I thought Alex Cook was solid, but the other – and Dom Hampton flashed a little bit, but the other three members of the secondary, starting secondary, uh, raised some questions for me. Any level of concern for you with that group? Uh, in general, yes and no. It's it's nothing more than I was already somewhat concerned about heading into this game. Um, like you had mentioned, and I've spoken at length about in the past, Um this will be a somewhat more aggressive style of coverage um, that, hypothetically speaking, uh, should mesh well with the more aggressive looks from our defensive front. Um, given Schley's elusiveness, as well as poise and wherewithal to identify open receivers downfield and complete those pretty spectacular passes for the most part. You know, you live by the press man coverage or quarters coverage, you die by it too. And we're going to have to get more accustomed to seeing every now and then big plays, you know, sprung on our defense, um, something that we haven't seen in a long time. Um, on that particular play, the long touchdown to Cephas over Powell, it actually wasn't necessarily a busted coverage. It was simply Cephas getting the better of Powell on that one play with, you know, in, in a intentional adjustment that left him on an island. Um, I will also give credit to Schley for a beautiful pass on that. Um, right over the shoulder, right in the basket and for a touchdown while also on on the run. Um, this particular adjustment here was something that I identified as part of Kent State's game plan. I, I would imagine that they knew that if they motioned from a balanced look, motion one guy over, um, that our safeties would rotate, right? And so um, that's what left Powell without any safety help. Turner rotated over, um, Dom Hampton rotated to center field and rotated away from where Cephas was to match the motion. And I think they were hunting for that particular look while Powell was also in, in a press alignment. And, you know, Cephas is a solid receiver. I wouldn't be surprised if he got looks at the next level, um, despite playing in a, lower level of competition in a 
more rush heavy offense. He he is he is that type of stud that a, a run heavy defense needs to to stretch the field and get some of those explosive plays. You know, overall, I think the coverage they mentally executed everything. There's going to be technique and certain things that they need to work on. And overall, you know, we, we have taken a step back a little bit as far as um, the type of proven talent that we're, you know, playing on the field. Uh, we, we don't have the Byron Murphys, the Trent McDuffies, the Kyler Gordons, just all Sydney across. Jones, the, Kevin King. The, just <laughs> Yeah. The list goes on and on, Miles right? Bryant. And yeah, it is a long, long list. It is a really impressive run that we've had over the last, you know, the better part of the last decade. Um, and we've been spoiled by that. I think now we're taking a step back towards, you know, more traditional levels of talent. And, um, you know, I, I still have high confidence in the guys we have in, in taking that next step. There were a number of uh, techniques that have, changed with the new scheme that I was able to learn um, uh, learn about uh, at the coaches clinic earlier this spring and so th- there will be an adjustment period but we have studs um, in, in the DB room that that should be able to step up right Powell still tremendously talented very um, very cerebral which is a good word that you use to describe panics but uh, himself, He's not going to make the mental errors. Mm-hmm. He's he's just relatively young and needs to acclimate to this new scheme. And, you know, he has all the tools for that. We also, you know, with Perryman maybe being dinged up a little bit after this first game, you know, we still have a guy like Julius Irvin who stepped right in uh, later in the game after Perryman went out. And this guy's a four-star DB, right? I mean – we still have tremendous talent, not, not to mention somebody like Devon Banks, who was a borderline four-star in that weird COVID recruiting cycle. And all of these guys, you know, there's, there is the depth of talent there. It's just we got to get these guys, you know, more reps, settled down, and uh, getting back up to that level of play that we've been accustomed to. Yeah, I agree with all that. And I think you mentioned earlier the pass rush, how often it almost got home, and that would make a big difference. Just a couple of those sacks coming through would make a big difference in the overall output for the uh, pass defense as well. And and that to that end, I, I was impressed by Savelle Smalls, just how frequently he showed up. Uh, it, he made a couple of mistakes where he broke contain on the edge, but he also made several really nice plays getting into the backfield and disrupting run plays or forcing Schley out of the pocket. Uh, and and somebody who we've kind of been waiting to arrive, it was just nice seeing him show up. He wasn't disappearing uh, at all. So that, that's super positive. I think before we, we move off, you know, I think we try to present the balanced view here of some of the things that went well and some of the things that went badly. But before we get off of the Kent State game, I think it's worth noting that this was really fun to watch. And even in games oh, yeah. where the Huskies dominated over the last few years, the few and far between, uh, there was always like nerve wracking moments. This one, it kind of felt like the two biggest plays were the Turner interception and then the uh, the uh, Tavio Papa long touchdown run in the first drive of the game and then from there it was just all gravy and it was just showing off offensively and it was so much fun to watch that after you know this long time in the desert where you weren't sure where the offense was going to come from so I don't want to make it sound like we're downers or we're being overly critical because in the end it was a really fun game to watch oh yeah I mean for a season opener against a group of five non-conference team that we don't have uh uh, tremendous recent history playing them or something like that, you know, as, as well as the fact that, you know, this is before school starts for UW and, you know, it wasn't the, the best turnout. It was much better turnout than I was expecting. <laughs> Me too. The energy and the I asked, stands were I was there. Out of town, was there but I, and... I asked some friends for pictures from inside the stadium just because I was curious what it would actually look like in the upper deck and around the student section. And I was very impressed at how not empty it was compared to some of the other West Coast stadiums. 
Oh, for sure. You know, far better than, you know, Big Ten invitee, you know, UCLA. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the one that jumps out. Yes. All right. Let's yeah. let's wrap up the uh, recap and we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about Portland State, the limited amount of things we know about them and the rest of the Pac-12 as well. So stick around. Thanks for staying with us. We've talked about Kent State. We're going to focus on the Vikings. It's interesting that Portland State did put a scare into San Jose State in their first game. I, you know, obviously San Jose State probably looks a lot more like Kent State than they do like the Huskies, but it, it is uh, an FBS team. They were pretty good a couple of years ago, and Portland State was beating them well into the fourth quarter. They they needed a late uh, touchdown drive to pull it out, twenty one seventeen over Portland State. Uh, what do you what can you tell me if anything about what to expect from uh, Portland State coming up? I haven't really uh, taken my deep dive yet into the Portland State uh, preview, but I I did see that uh, Hail Mary attempt to Mm -hmm. almost pull out a victory against uh, San Jose State. Um, I have heard that their quarterback is pretty good and a good quarterback can do wonders for a team, you know, help them really punch above their weight. Um, and I do know that Portland State is a pretty solid uh, FCS level team that uh, has a healthy amount of talent from transfers from the FBS level. I mean, you know, there's going to be a lot of familiar names. Um, first and foremost, Marquis Spiker, who was a receiver for us and a pretty highly billed recruit uh, coming out of high school. Um he hasn't quite panned out in, at the college level, but, you know, if if they're a program that's attracting that level of talent, um, I wouldn't be surprised if they had uh, a pretty solid team there. So, you know, uh, I don't think anybody's going to take them lightly, especially after last year's season opening fiasco. But uh, given where we are as far as our own execution and playing up to our talent, uh, I, I think I think we'll be just fine. Yeah, I think that's right. I the, the only thing looking through statistically, uh, their week one game, their quarterback seems to be far and away the focus of their offense. Dante Shasher. I don't know if I'm saying that right or not, but he reading a little bit about him, he was at four five forty coming out of high school. He was an athlete. He chose Portland State over Nevada and interest from a couple of Mountain West teams. This week, he threw for 37 times and rushed another 14. So that's pretty large component of the offense. Uh, they did turn the ball over a few times. Uh, they returned a receiver named Bo Kelly, who had almost 1,000 yards and double-digit touchdowns a year ago. So there's some talent there, uh, you know, some returning talent. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I don't think there's any reason to think if, you know, it would take a major toe stubbing for the Huskies to fall down in this game. But I, I think maybe the more interesting question is what are we going to be watching to see if there's any real progress on the Husky side of the ball? I think based on the conversation we had about the Kent state game, I'll be really interested to see if a different matchup and a different defensive scheme, were able to get a little bit more push up front and establish a more consistent running offense. Not that we necessarily need that uh, every week, but just to, I don't want it to become something that teams view as a weakness and can kind of ignore when they're prepping to play us. Uh, and then defensively, just a little bit more solidity at the back. Uh, this is a team that seems to want to throw the ball around the field and have the quarterback scramble. And I would rather not see uh, a bunch of missed tackles on the back end again. Anything else on your end that you, you'd you like to see uh, from UW this weekend that that will be highlights for you in terms of making progress over what we saw last week? Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, you, you touched on the – offensive running game, um, seeing if uh, we have a little bit more traction there with a different scheme that's maybe less focused on selling out against the run. So, you know, maybe some progress there. On defense, I think it's a great second game this week to also face another dual-threat quarterback, a real athlete there, and see, okay, we saw what week one looks like. What have we done to improve on containing that type of a quarterback? Because we're going to face those types of quarterbacks uh, in the Pac-12, right? We have uh, UCLA with uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. He's an excellent dual threat quarterback. 
later on this year, we're going to face um, Oregon, who, you know, Bo Nix, maybe not the maybe not known as a dual threat. Um, he little, has some shifty. of that escape. Yeah, he can move around. Yeah, yeah, he has he has some of that escapability to him, and and who knows, maybe they might make a switch to another quarterback. And they, I know that their quarterback room is filled with athletes. And then we're going to finish off uh, the regular season in the Apple Cup against Cam Ward at Washington State, and he is a tremendous athlete in his own right. So, being able to see the week to week progression is something I'll be looking forward to uh, against Portland State. And then finally, the last thing that I'm looking forward, uh, looking uh, or will keep an eye on really this week is really tightening up that kick coverage on special teams. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that that was something that really scared me a little bit uh, against Kent State. Um, uh, If I remember correctly, it was uh, Henry that was doing the kickoffs this year. And um, well, he's a good player. field goal kicker and PAT kicker uh, kickoffs. He doesn't quite have the leg strength to be a consistent um, touchback kicker. So, so the ball will be in play. There will be opportunities for uh, opposing teams to return. And there were a lot of big returns um, that got close to midfield, if not past midfield. I mean, there was that one play where, Henry had to make the tackle himself because the rest of the coverage unit couldn't get there in time, right? And you never want your uh, former walk-on kicker to be making tackles like that. So uh, a little bit of improvement there um, should be expected and hopefully significant improvement. Um, You know, special teams are often forgotten as the third uh, phase of the football team. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot to be gained and lost there. So uh, hopefully uh, coach Schmidt um, gets these guys dialed in heading into Portland state. Yeah. Uh, before we move off of Portland state, one other thing, statistical oddity from their first week, they have a 175 pound safety named Tyrese Shakir, who had three sacks against San Jose state as a team. They had seven sacks. Uh, it, it looks like they had a phenomenal uh, run defense in this game, but it's mainly because they had so much sack yardage suppressing the San Jose state rush totals. So we talked about blitz pickup when you are getting three, four five sacks from your secondary, uh, that's going to be an important element. Obviously this is a team that likes to bring pressure from the secondary and uh, we'll have to continue to be ready for that element of the game. Let's take a couple minutes just to whip around the rest of the pack 12. There are a couple things, headlines uh, probably worth noting so give me a quick uh, level of concern or excitement about a couple of the things that we saw in week one. First of all Oregon and Utah the probably the conference favorites going into the year maybe put USC in there as well both Oregon and Utah lost tough away games Oregon wasn't a true road game but it might as well have been just getting lambasted lambasted by Georgia and then Utah kind of uncharacteristically making some mistakes late to lose uh, against Florida what were your takeaways from those two games? Does it change your prognosis for those teams at all for the rest of the year? Yeah, I think, well, you know, as a Husky fan, you have a little bit more of a pessimistic outlook on Oregon, you know, every single year. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, they, they do have a talented team on paper. Uh, it, and, you know, going into the Georgia game, Georgia, the reigning national champions, you know, you figured they were going to, lose that game but it was somewhat surprised to see how poorly their defense played and generally speaking how unprepared they looked almost you know it's one thing if you just get bowled over um, by a superior team with better talent and better players but it just for whatever reason looked like they didn't know what all the assignments were they didn't tackle well. Sometimes it looked as if they were almost like afraid to make some tackles against, you know, sure. Georgia has a six foot seven, 270 pound tight end that can hurdle people. Yeah, I wouldn't be looking forward to tackling that guy. Backup tight end. Backup tight end. <laughs> but, yes, exactly. I mean, that's just how ludicrously talented the Bulldogs are. But yeah, it is sort of 
surprising there that uh, how poorly they did play. I didn't expect them to, you know, really shut down the Georgia offense, but it's they didn't play close to what I was expecting them to, um, especially when defense has been considered their stronger unit, especially with Dan Lanning coming over to uh, to Oregon and trying to coach them up and bring some of that culture and scheme uh, from Georgia. So that, that, that'll be something to keep an eye on as the season progresses. Um, also uh, worth noting, Tosh Lapoy, who I believe is their defensive coordinator, not a great start Yeah, in his return to the well, college game. I would say you don't want to draw huge sweeping conclusions from one game. Obviously one thing, I think this was an old uh, Bill James line, baseball, early baseball analyst uh, that if the initial, the small samples tend to really strongly confirm something that you already had reason to believe it matters a little bit more. And the knock on Lanning was that he didn't run the defense, that he was essentially a recruiter and Kirby Smart ran the Georgia defense. And week one doesn't prove that that's true, but it definitely didn't disprove it. It makes you a little bit exactly. more suspicious. And I think that would be the the reason for concern. It's one week. This is, That's the toughest game they're going to play this year. They're going to win a bunch of games. They're going to be back, and they're going to be really good. But it was not the way that they would have wanted this season to start. Oh, and, you know, even if they not had, even close. It had the exact same game and managed a couple touchdowns just to make the score look a little less embarrassing, it'd probably make a big difference for Utah. I, I'm not really worried at all. I think they're still extremely good. I mean, oh, that's, they'll, they'll be just fine. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, you play Florida away with a really good new coach basically to a draw, <laughs> you know, that's like you factor in the, what the swamp does in those games, that game could have gone either way right at the end. And the fact that they didn't get punched in on, you know, the ball got intercepted and made a mistake. Uh, it's kind of funny. I was, I was visiting family watching that game. And when rising's pass got intercepted right before that, uh, my mom was kind of halfway watching the game and she said, why aren't they kicking it? And I was like, it's, third down they're going to try to win the game and then they threw an interception i was like touche mom touche <laughs> <laughs> so it turned yeah. out to be very prescient analysis by somebody who doesn't watch football yeah so i've, I've watched uh, most of that game um prior to heading down to the uw game um and and in the first half it looked very even you know while Utah was one of the favorites to win the Pac-12, you know, and Florida wasn't necessarily, I do think that Florida's part of that um, strong second tier of the SEC. They have a talented, you know, um, roster. They have a good coach uh, in Billy Napier, first-year head coach over there, um, who is offensive-minded. And, you know, through the first half that I watched, they played them to a draw more or less it didn't seem like uh utah was getting blown off of the line of scrimmage on either side which i had been you know hoping that they would be able to stand up to the to the sort of sec roster there given how well they historically have recruited and developed on the lines of scrimmage so that was always nice to see they do have some solid skill position players that can match up with some of those SEC athletes. Um, the big difference at the end of the day um, that really swung uh, the pendulum in Florida's favor was uh, Anthony Richardson, who very well might be yeah. the second com- the second coming of Vince Young or something like that, right? Yeah. And like I said, a quarterback can make all the difference to a team. And I think that if they had a more middle-of-the-road, traditional drop-back, pocket-passing quarterback, I think Utah would have come away with maybe a 10-point victory or at least a victory. Um, Richardson's dual-threat abilities made all the difference, especially given Utah's um, man-coverage-heavy scheme that uh, takes eyes off of the quarterback and makes it that much harder to to really pin down and contain a dual threat quarterback like Richardson. So 
you know, I think Utah will be just fine in the Pac-12. You know, it still wouldn't surprise me if they ended up winning winning the South or, you know, coming out ahead given their schedule uh, and being in the, in the title game. Yeah. Um, they have a strong roster, strong defense. Cam Rising's still a stud uh, and is still going to elevate that team. And uh, I still expect good things out of that. Yeah. I, Richardson, really super impressive in that game. Uh, he he probably still has a little bit of work to do in terms of reading defenses and going through progressions and all the things we complimented Penix about at the start of this podcast, but just in terms of raw ability, he might be one of the three or four best quarterbacks in the country is very impressive. Um, Oh, easily. That guy can run and that guy is like uncle Rico. He can throw it over the mountains. He'll, he, he, he has some talent there. Uh, There were a couple, it wasn't all bad news. In fact, the Pac-12 went nine and three, which is great. The held serve and all the games they're supposed to win. A couple that were a lot, you know, <laughs> weren't really expected to win were Arizona and Oregon State, kind of beating up on San Diego State and Boise State, respectively. I really impressed. Oregon State's kind of been on a steady upward trajectory under Jonathan Smith. Jed Fish at uh, Arizona made the joke about winning the offseason this year, and. God, that, if they're they lost twenty three out of twenty four games coming into this year, and then they just kind of thumped a very traditionally or perennially respectable San Diego State team, that was impressive. They're they're probably not the doormats of the conference anymore. And Oregon State, likewise, is continuing a positive trend going in the right direction. Either one of those kind of stand out to you more than the other, or particularly impressed by either of those teams. Uh, yeah, I, I was, uh, I'd say Arizona was a little bit more impressive um, just because of how well we know Oregon State. You know, we know Jonathan Smith very well from his time here. We've seen him be very competitive with uh, within the Pac-12 North um, over the last several years. We've seen that, that steady progression, whereas Arizona, you know, like you said, They've been the conference doormats for a couple of years now by a wide margin. And we knew that Jed Fish um, had done a good job in re- restocking that roster, building the culture and, and kind of laying the groundwork and uh, you know, building the foundation of a program turnaround and for it to come together all at once, right at the beginning of this season, you know, they looked very competent. They had an explosive offense. Um, granted, I wasn't all that surprised given that Jaden Delora, the I believe he's the reigning Pac-12 uh, freshman offensive re- uh, freshman of the year. Um, he's none of these words make Washington. sense anymore. <laughs> Just, he's he's that, not. He wasn't a freshman. It's only it's. Conference is falling apart. Yeah, but yes, and all he that. does have that distinction. Yes. Yeah. So he, he has all of these, you know, accolades. He did a lot at Washington State. And so, you know, it, it didn't surprise me tremendously that he has elevated that offense that has gotten some talent back in the program. Um, it was uh, nice to see, generally speaking, um, that he has acclimated well to a non-run-and-shoot offense. You know, he had been playing in one since his middle school days. Um, so, you know, playing outside of that Rolovich, you know, June Jones tree um, and, and taking to it and, and elevating his team was nice to see. Just, you know, as long as he doesn't do that against us later on this year, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Perfect. Well, let's. I, I think that's probably good for now. Uh, in terms of the rest of the Pac-12, we'll have plenty of time over the course of the season to uh, check in on some of the other teams across the conference. But those were the headlines that jumped out from week one. So let's wrap it up with our recommendations and plugs. I'll jump in first. I'll give you a second to uh, shift your mindset away from uh, football into the most entertaining non-football thing of the last week. I'm, I try to get away from sports when I do this, but I've really spent a, just an inordinate amount of time over the last week and a half watching the U S open. Uh, it's been, I, I think I got a little bit hooked in by the Serena Williams swan song and 
my wife got into that. And so we watched her matches together and it, like that, that second round match over Annette Confit was just like high entertainment. It, it was a sporting event, but it was entertainment and pageantry above that with great storyline and one of the most entertaining things of the year. But there's been a bunch of really good matches on the men's and women's side of the draw. And I'm really excited going into this last week. Uh, the, the, Tiafo, who just beat uh, Nadal, now he plays the number nine seed, Rublev, tomorrow on probably already done by the time people are listening to this. But it, it, really worth watching a little bit of this. The presentation has been great and so many exciting new people as we kind of get out of this era of there being like three or four tennis players uh, who matter and everybody else is just kind of like trying to eat scraps so uh maybe people aren't into tennis but probably a good time to get into it if you are looking for uh, another sport to eat up even more of your time than art does how about you you watch any tennis anything else going on in your side of the entertainment world i you know, i always forget that this is a segment at the end of all of our podcasts <laughs> i know that's that what's the best, of it, best part of it and every single time i'm left unprepared but um I have a recommendation and I have a plug. Uh, both of them will be tangentially related to sports, if not completely involved being sports. Um, recommendation, less sports related. I've been uh, watching the new uh, a Hulu series called Shorzy. It's a spinoff from Canadian sitcom Letterkenny. Very funny. It's uh, Shorzy was a character on Letterkenny that earned himself uh, his own series. It's about hockey in Canada, um, kind of like a senior league hockey and a very funny show. Uh, I believe the new season is coming up sometime this fall or winter. So want to catch up on that. So that's my less sports related recommendation there. I do have a plug. Uh, the high school football season has also kicked off in conjunction with the college football season. And that means I get to give a plug and shout out to my Lincoln links. They did not win their non-league preseason uh, opener last week against Kings, but they will be playing, I believe Nathan Hale this week, Friday. I will be color commentating that game. Feel free to look that up and uh, listen to me ramble on for three or four hours or whatever you're color commentating it on the radio or where uh streaming online i can't remember which platform we're using this year but uh if anybody wants uh if anybody wants to get that link feel free to comment on the post uh once we get the podcast up on the website that's awesome. That's very cool. Good luck to your team. That'll be very fun. Um, and I'll, I'll be rooting for them, even against my local Nathan Hill uh, Raiders. Technically, the school district I live in. So I, I have to I have split allegiances on that uh, that I just learned about. Uh, let's end it there. I think we've talked a lot about the great quarterback play and the much improved passing offense. I think there's no better time than right now for Cody Pickett to join us on the podcast. Love to get his thoughts on <laughs> Michael Penix and the rest of the Kalen DeBoer offense. So it's almost inevitable that he'll be here next week, but in the meantime, thanks for listening and go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs>